covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Uh, we'll be uh, going through this journey together over the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. First and foremost, uh, really appreciate you listening. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, uh, you can do that. We are available on all your normal podcast uh, locations on the different po- platforms. So whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or something else that I don't even know about, uh, we should be there. So you can always uh, subscribe, and we appreciate everybody who do sub- does subscribe, and then it comes right to your phone. It's very, very easy. Also, uh, if you ever want to get in contact with me, whether you have a general comment about the podcast or you just want to continue the conversation of what we have going on here, the best two ways to reach me, first off on Twitter, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. Always enjoy the Twitter follows, but even if you don't follow me, you can always tweet at me. You can also drop me an email if you would like, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. We've got a big show today. Uh, really uh, looking forward to putting this one together as We'll be joined by Nicholas Zettel from uh, Baseball Prospectus Milwaukee, BP Milwaukee. Uh, I love my conversations with him. We uh, really get into a lot of kind of different sort of stuff, but we'll get his comments on uh, some of the general brewer stuff as well, and uh, that's going to be good. And then Chris Marion is going to join us this week, the longtime, very talented voice of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, as uh, it was an interesting weekend for the Timber Rattlers as they welcomed in both Ryan Braun and Jonathan VR uh, and they had a they had a great weekend in Appleton with a lot of folks coming in and uh, Braun and VR were great with the fans as well so uh, we'll get his take on uh, what went on with those guys and also talk about some of the minor league guys as well as the team uh, kind of getting back going again they had a, a rough finish to the first half of the season and then the first couple games of the second half they didn't win but uh, they, they seem to be playing a little bit better recently, so we'll talk with Chris about that in a few moments. Of course, we'll go through all of our headlines of the week coming up in uh, just a few moments. Maybe one of the biggest headlines of the week happens Sunday afternoon. It occurs uh, during the game, and we always mention this, but just so you know from a time standpoint, because I know folks listen to the program throughout the course of the entire week, uh, we record on Sunday nights. We try to make the content uh, not, I wouldn't use the word generic, but not super time sensitive. We're not breaking down, you know, Sunday afternoon's game or Tuesday. Uh, you you couldn't care less about it. Uh, but there are things that happen during the course of the week where sometimes the information's a little bit outdated. We do our best to make sure that won't happen, but it does on occasion happen. So just so you know, Sunday night is our record time here for the program. Sunday afternoon, Stephen Vote claimed off waivers from the Oakland Athletics. And uh, with that, Jet Bandy was sent down to AAA. Bandy did have one option left, and he had really been struggling at the plate uh, recently, and he's going to go to AAA to try to get things going. We'll see Bandy in a Brewers uniform again this season. I'm not too worried about that, whether it's before or after September call-ups. We'll just have to wait and see. But Bandy's going to be with the Brewers again unless some sort of uh, move were to be made involving him. That being said, Stephen Vogt getting signed. And also, Lewis Brinson being sent down. Uh, Ryan Braun is expected to be activated off the disabled list come Tuesday. And Lewis Brinson was sent back down to AAA Colorado Springs. couple things there, and I think, I think both those moves are notable. There's been a lot of conversation recently about, you know, developmental year versus win now, or rebuild year versus win now, whatever terminology you choose to use. I'm of the belief that the two things can happen together. But I'm also of the belief that when you are winning, when you are contending, there are some aspects of development that slow down. In fact, I recently wrote a blog about this. You can check it out for yourself at WTMJ.com. But since since I wrote what I wrote, a a couple things happen to to kind of update that point. When when Lewis Brinson was supposed to be called up, and I'm I'm talking in a hypothetical situation going back before the Super Two date, from hypothetically when he was still down at Colorado Springs, when he hadn't made his major league debut quite yet, the thought process was, when he gets called up, 
He is going to be inserted into the starting lineup, and he is going to play every single day, much like Orlando Arcia was last year when he got the call-up. So just the general thought process was this guy is going to get here, and he's going to play every day. He has to play every day. That's something you're going to hear all the time. He has to play every day. Well, he gets here uh, because of injuries and some other stuff, but he doesn't perform. And, you know, Keon Broxton was kind of in a, a slow spell right when uh, Brinson got to the Brewers, but then Brinson gets going and Brinson's swinging a hot bat, or Broxton swinging a hot bat right now. And all of a sudden, for a team that is in first place, there really wasn't room for Lewis Brinson. You weren't going to have him play on an every single day basis and take you know, the bat out of the hands of a Keon Broxton, away from uh, from Domingo Santana, even away from uh, from Hernan Perez at times when he's been out in left field. So if this team was in fourth place in the National League Central nine games back, I mean, if they were the Cincinnati Reds and they were not in first place in the division, Brinson would have been called up, he would have been placed in the starting uh, lineup, and he would have stayed there. But you can't do that with a first-place team. So he's back down to AAA. Stephen Vogt being call, uh, claimed off waivers. That's a that's kind of a – it's a chance to get a player that you value, and it's a chance to get a guy who was an all-star recently. It's a chance to bring in a high-character guy, which is something the Brewers are all about, and everything we have heard – about Stephen Vogt is uh, this guy is as good as they come in terms of how they are inside of a clubhouse. But if the if the goal is just to develop players, you're going with Manny Pena, you're going with Jet Bandy. Maybe if you have to send Bandy down, you're calling Andrew Susack up. Uh, not that his numbers really warrant it, but he was somebody who was you know in the the three way competition for two spots in spring training. But they saw an opportunity to get better. They saw an opportunity to bring somebody in who was probably going to perform better than the person he was replacing. Vote is probably going to outperform Bandy based off the way Bandy's been swinging it lately. And he's not going to do anything to mess up the clubhouse vibe, which is as good as it gets right now. Tom Hodricourt recently uh, had a column in the Journal Sentinel uh, really focusing in on that and how impressive it is that this group of players many of which didn't know each other a couple years ago because uh, the Brewers didn't develop all these players. A lot came via trade. For this clubhouse to gel the way it is gelled uh, is, is pretty impressive. So when you, when you insert somebody into the clubhouse, you have to be sure that they're not going to mess anything up. And they're, they're good with that on vote. So this year is still about getting better. This year is still about giving young players opportunities. But we're starting to see, I think, a little bit of a shift. Brinson being sent down, vote being signed. The next question is, what do you do with Jonathan VR? Eric Sogard is obviously giving you a better chance to win right now than Jonathan VR based off the numbers he was putting up before he gets injured. VR expected to be activated off the disabled list as well on Tuesday. He'll get some playing time, but what does his role look like? Is it going to be a platoon with Sogard? Is Sogard going to be the main guy? Is Sogard going to play three out of four? Is Sogard going to play four out of five? Are they going to allow VR to play some shortstop and play some third base in a in a backup role where he backs up at all those positions despite the fact that when the season got started, they wanted him at second base and second base only so he could learn that position better? That's it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be interesting to watch, fascinating to watch whatever whatever word you want to use. But that's where the conflict and I don't think it's a major conflict, and we'll get into this with uh, with Nicholas uh, Zettel from Baseball Perspective in, in just a few minutes. I'm not of the belief that rebuild year and winning and, and contending can't actually happen at the same time. It doesn't happen for a lot of teams, but it, it, I'm not of the belief that it can't happen at the same time. But you do run into a situation here and there. And they've already answered the question with sending Lewis Brinson down. They've already answered a question by acquiring vote. The next question to be answered is, what do you do about Jonathan VR? All those questions and the answers to those questions are going to start to show us maybe how serious the Brewers are feeling that they can continue to contend this season. 
It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, Headlines of the Week, and we got some of them in our first segment. From a player roster move standpoint, uh, the Brewers make a number of moves on Sunday. They claim Stephen Vogt off waivers, uh, designated for assignment by Oakland. They claim him. Uh, they also send down Lewis Brinson to AAA, and they send down Jet Bandy to AAA. We are expecting that come Tuesday, Ryan Braun and Jonathan VR will be activated from the disabled list. What that does is it presents one more move that's needed to be made. There's going to have to be one more move on the 25-man roster that is cleared. You know, if you're going, uh, if you look at it in terms of vote for Bandy and then Braun for Brinson, that's going to be VR for insert player here. Might be a situation with a uh, relief pitcher going down, whether it's a suitor or an Espino. Nick Franklin's time with the uh, the organization could come to an end. There's a chance he could be uh, designated for assignment. I uh, don't know what the move will be. I would guess that that move will be made on Tuesday. I'm not expecting anything on Monday, but we'll just have to wait and see uh, what's going to happen there. Uh, but that's those are the biggest uh, biggest headlines of this past week. In terms of what Ryan Braun and Jonathan VR did uh, while playing for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Jonathan VR was especially impressive. He went 8 for 13 in his four games there. That is a 6.15 average. He drove in six runs. He had uh, just the three strikeouts and 13 at bats, slugged 846, had an OPS of 1.446. I mean, just gaudy numbers in a four game uh, period. Ryan Braun. He goes a two for eight, so a two fifty average in his three games. He does hit a home run. It was a line drive shot in the second game, and uh, afterwards he said he was feeling pretty good. We'll get more details on both of these guys, what they did, including defensively. Have some interesting tidbits coming up about Jonathan VR's defense uh, while he played with the Timber Rattlers. We'll get to that later on in the podcast when Chris Marion from the Timber Rattlers uh, does join us. Keston Hira signs this week. And he is the Brewers' first-round pick, and there's some news that goes along with that. Uh, he signs a deal, signs it uh, according to MLB.com's Jim Callis, report at $4 million. That's uh, under the uh, slot bonus uh, amount of 4.57. So the Brewers save a little bit of money there where they get to spend a little bit more on some later picks. Uh, that's, uh, that, you know, that's... That's good value because he's considered the best bat, best college bat in the uh, in the draft. The other big note about Hira was he is not going to need surgery. There was thought that he might need Tommy John surgery because he has a partially torn ligament in his right elbow. Uh, well, they, uh, they, he won't need surgery, at least not for now. He has already been assigned to Arizona. He's going to work out uh, at the uh, spring training complex in Arizona for a while, eventually uh, join the Arizona Summer League team down there, the Arizona Brewers, and then uh, in all likelihood he'll end up with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers after that. Don't see him joining Helena. He'll probably go straight to Wisconsin. That's what the, the, the Brewers did last year with Corey Ray. And uh, this guy's bat should play okay in the Midwest League. We'll wait and see. The other news of the week actually came out of Colorado Springs, where the Brewers have their AAA affiliate. And for those of you who are not overly uh, familiar with me, that's where I came from before I came to Milwaukee to uh, work for WTMJ and host the Brewers postgame show. I was one of the broadcasters for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox for six years. My last year with the Sky Sox was the first year of the Brewers affiliation. So... Bottom line is the Brewers are not going to have to deal with Colorado Springs much longer as a AAA affiliate. Now there's a chance that they'll still be in Colorado Springs elsewhere. Let me let me try to explain everything quickly. And this is as convoluted of a situation as as there is. And the business of minor league baseball and everything that kind of goes along with it is fairly complicated as well. Minor league baseball teams, for the most part are owned by independent owners. Now, more and more major league teams are buying their minor league affiliates. In fact, the Brewers have been uh, reportedly in negotiations to purchase their affiliate, their high-A affiliate, the Carolina Mudcats. But for the most part, teams are owned by independent folks, and then there is 
an affiliation agreement. It's called a PDC or a player development contract between the individual club owner and the major league organization. So the Colorado Springs Sky Sox are owned by the Elmore Sports Group. And the Elmores own a number of minor league baseball teams. They also own the San Antonio Missions, which is a double-A team in San Antonio. They own the Helena Brewers as well, which is the Brewers' rookie league short-season affiliate. The announcement was made this week that the AAA franchise currently in Colorado Springs, the Sky Sox, would be moving to San Antonio. The double-A team that's currently in San Antonio, the Missions, would then be moving to a brand-new ballpark that is being built in Amarillo, Texas, and the Helena Brewers will leave Helena and come into Colorado Springs. So Colorado Springs will be going from a AAA market to a short-season rookie ball affiliate. Uh, Now, a lot of people make the jump and say, okay, well, that means the Milwaukee Brewers are going to have the AAA affiliate in San Antonio. Not so fast. Probably not. Every uh, two, four year, but these PDCs I speak of earlier, the player development contracts, you are allowed to sign those in increments of two years. So a two-year deal, four-year deal, six-year deal, whatever it might be. And when those player development contracts come up, the major league organization can state, hey, we want out of this situation. Or the individual club can say, well, we, we want to look around. That's what happened a few years back when the Nashville Sounds, who the Brewers had been with for quite some time, had built that new ballpark. They didn't want to be affiliated with the Brewers anymore, so they stated that they were going to look around, and they ended up getting uh, the Oakland A's in there. Uh, There are times, for example, for Colorado Springs, the reason the Brewers ended up there was because it was the major league organization, the Rockies, who said, we don't want to be in Colorado Springs anymore, and they went out. So either side can uh, state a desire to end the relationship. What's going to in all likelihood happen is right now the Round Rock Express, which is uh, owned uh, and there's interest from the Ryan family, as in Nolan Ryan. They had signed a long-term agreement with the Texas Rangers when Nolan Ryan was serving as the team president. Made sense. The Ryan family owns Round Rock. Nolan Ryan there uh, with the Rangers. So they had signed a long-term agreement so the, the, uh, the Ryans could be connected. Well, then Nolan Ryan gets fired. They still had that long-term agreement, so they've had to play that out. That PDC, which I think was maybe a six-year deal, maybe even eight-year deal, which was originally signed, it's coming up in 2018. In all likelihood, the Express are going to kick the Rangers out, and they're going to try to go get the Houston Astros because uh, Reed Ryan is uh, in Houston now as an executive, and Nolan Ryan is serving as a consultant there as well. So it brings the, the continuity of the Ryan family back together. Houston's currently in Fresno, so that will open up Fresno. The Rangers are going to be looking for a new team. If there's a AAA team in San Antonio from regional sense, it makes sense. So in all likelihood, the Rangers would then go into San Antonio, where the Colorado Springs AAA team is moving to, and in all likelihood, the Brewers will end up in Fresno as the last team that is available. Now, a lot can happen between now and then. There are some weird AAA uh, agreements out there uh, with uh, that could change some things. You know, El Paso has a great ballpark. Everybody seems to be happy. San Diego is in there. They love being El Paso. From what I've heard, the El Paso organization loves San Diego. But would that change if all of a sudden they could get the Rangers? Um, the you know the Las Vegas situation is not a good one. The Mets are in Las Vegas. Uh, there there's been rumblings on occasion that maybe the Mets would want to go into Rochester. That that, that was almost a possibility a couple years back, and it didn't happen. But maybe that happens in 2018. So there's a lot of things still in play. And let me throw this out to you, just just to say, so in Nashville. Oakland has not been that successful with the sound since coming in. Oakland had previously been with Sacramento. They were, they've not been as successful there. Could the sounds possibly kick Oakland back out? And would Oakland want to go into Fresno because it's regionally closer? And could that open up Nashville again? I don't know. 
I'm just throwing things out. So that's the basic situation. Very good chance that uh, the Brewers will still be affiliated in Colorado Springs because the Helena Brewers are going to move in. Uh, they will become the Sky Sox still. They'll call, they'll call them the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, but it'll be a rookie-level team uh, there in the Pioneer League. And if they re-up on that player development contract, the Brewers would then have their rookie-level team in Colorado Springs, but that doesn't cause the issues that having your AAA team there causes. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on, and right now uh, we're able to, uh, as we go into our social media conversation, we're able to uh, welcome in the editor from uh, BP Milwaukee that is uh, Baseball Prospectus. It is uh, Nicholas Zettel. Nick, uh, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, want to get into a, a few things with you and uh, you guys over at Baseball Perspectives. I love our conversations because uh, you put interesting numbers and you you explain stuff with numbers, kind of for for lack of a better term. And it's fun some of the stuff you get into. But just real generally, before we go a little deeper, uh, the team on Sunday uh, makes the decision to go out and. Uh, get uh, Stephen Vogt designated for assignment by the A's. They bring him in. He's going to be uh, part of the catching tandem now with uh, Manny Pena. Jet Bandy gets sent down. Do you have any uh, Mm -hmm. thoughts on this move by the Brewers? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about this one. Um, Particularly, it's it's really interesting to me right now, um, following uh, Brewers' Twitter, both for, for baseball prospectus purposes and, and on my own account, it's, it's really interesting to see how much fans are, um, are really divided about contending and saying, you know, is this team for real? What is contending? What does a contending move look like for this team? And I noticed that from some of the comments that you get on the, the pregame and postgame calls as well, that people are really, you know, they're kind of, scratching their heads about what the Brewers are actually going to do and whether what that means for winning. And the vote move is really interesting that fans are kind of taking sides on it when it really, to me, to my mind, it's just a really good baseball move. You got an all-star, you got a a former all-star going on the waivers, and um, it's always a position of need, I think, at catcher because those guys, they take a beating behind the plate. So it's my opinion that you can never have enough catcher depth. And I don't think Jet Bandy is done in Milwaukee. I think uh, it'll be a perfect time for him to go down to AAA and make some adjustments based on uh, kind of his experience. His I think his most extended uh, regular playing time experience has come in Milwaukee at the major league level. So so he's going to have a chance to make some adjustments. I don't think he's done for good in Milwaukee, and you're you're taking a shot that Vote's going to jump back, and he's someone who can play first base or catcher. So you add add some depth to the roster, and if he bounces back, that's just one more bat that the Brewers can potentially control um, at least through the end of the season, and then take it from there. In the off season. Matt Weeders was available, and even though there was some speculation about Weeders, what I've heard that was an agent just throwing out the Brewers as a as a possible destination to try to kind of drum up some interest that that wasn't real. Derek Norris got out there, and the Brewers weren't interested. So there's a couple of veteran catchers that the Brewers were not especially interested in the off season. Fast forward a, a few months to you know mid to uh, to late June, and all of a sudden they're interested in a veteran catcher. What uh, what what changes do you think that causes that i'm going to be perfectly honest i have a hunch on this i don't i don't know this personally but my guess is given given the way teams use their their analytic systems and their scouting i think catching catching is one of the positions where you can really make a difference if you look at one specific trait over another so you can look at how a guy frames the strike zone. You can look at how they work with scouting reports. You can look at the types of pitching staffs they work with. There's all sorts of things I think a team can dig into there. So I, if I had to guess, I would say that catcher is one of the positions where teams can really put their individual stamp on and gamble on certain traits. 
Like, uh, by comparison, for instance, you're not really going to gamble on a poor defensive shortstop, or you're not going to, there's certain traits that you're always going to look for in a center fielder. But I think a catcher is a place where they can really put their individual stamp as an organization on a position. So that's, that's my guess, is that if, if I had to guess, and I, I haven't looked too much into vote um, since the move just happened today, but if I had to guess, there's something on the peripherals of his game that the Brewers just like for their organizational fit a little bit more than, um, than the other catchers you mentioned, like Whiter's. You, you mentioned the, the calls I get on, on the Brewers Extra Innings show on WTMJ and the, the arguments on Brewers Twitter, and there seems to be this belief that you can't both be contending and rebuilding at the same time. And while most teams don't do it at the same time, I don't get the sense it's something that, that, that they can't go together. And that's what the Brewers are kind of proving right now. Where do you stand on that whole contending versus rebuilding thing? Well, first and foremost, I think, I think it can. I think you can absolutely rebuild without tanking. I think what goes under the radar is that both the Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals totally rebuilt their front offices and their farm systems while they were contending within the last half decade. And now the reason I think Brewers fans are going to scoff at that is that both of those clubs also have significant payroll and um, they, they have some market advantages that the Brewers don't necessarily have. So people... I think people are inclined to say that even if an example like the Dodgers proves that you can contend and rebuild at the same time, Brewers fans will be inclined to say, well, no, that, that can't fit in Milwaukee. Where I think the Brewers are, are doing quite a great job is they're proving just how solid of a team you can build on the sort of peripheral talent that comes through the MLB that's on the waiver wires. Uh, David Stearns, I know, is a big proponent of giving guys their second chance. He understands. He had a great quote in the newspaper the other day that he used the term prospect fatigue, that teams teams kind of get the scouting idea of a guy in their mind, and if it doesn't work out, they might be too quick to get rid of a player. And so I think Stearns is actually playing this sort of long game by going out on the waivers, picking up all this talent, and a lot of a lot of this depth talent is really important to have because now you have guys that aren't really stars. They're not going to be set in starting roles, and they can kind of serve as bench and depth guys when the, the top prospects come up. So I think you absolutely can rebuild an organization and win at the same time. And I think the Brewers are just, they're probably a little bit better than just about everybody expected, but I think they're totally doing the right I, I think they totally can can make this type of strategy work long term. Do you expect that maybe they do make you know if they continue to stay here? And you guys had some stuff recently uh, over that. I don't think it was written by you, but one of your uh, one of your writers at uh, BP Milwaukee talked about potentially adding relief pitching. They can. Uh, we they can be careful with it. I mean, I mean, I know we saw the Tyler Thornburg trade. They can't give up the kind of uh, surplus that the Brewers got back from Tyler Thornburg. But there might still be an opportunity to trade away maybe some lower level prospects, some guys who probably aren't going to be on the forty man roster going forward. So they'd be open for the Rule Five draft. There's some guys there that you can trade to get some big league help if they need it, right? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. I think what always bears repeating is I know I know nobody likes trading for relievers really because people are always inclined to see the volatility that relievers have and I think that um I think that what what needs to be repeated to Brewers fans is that not every single prospect that's in the system is going to help the Brewers by making the big league roster and even some of the guys we like in the minor leagues now might not actually pan out at the big league level. So if, if there's a position of strength in the system that the Brewers can trade from, there's, there's really no harm in making trades from that depth, improving the MLB club, and then ironically, at the same time, there's even some MLB assets that the Brewers could probably trade off and return more prospects. So I see, I see the front office as having a great chance to just continually swap talent in and out at this deadline and maybe even play both sides of the table, play some win now moves, some rebuild moves, and basically make the organization better 
short-term and long-term. I think they're, they're really in probably the most advantageous position of just about any MLB club right now at the deadline. I think they, could, they can run the show, basically. You wrote a recent piece, and it was a, it was a fun read, and I encourage people to read it uh, at bpmilwaukee.com. And you went through a number of different players who have something significant about them uh, through advanced metrics or just statistics overall. You mentioned Eric Thames, Ryan Braun, uh, got into the walk rate of, uh, of, of uh, Eric Sogard, the, the defense, and what uh, Orlando Arcia is able to do uh, with his uh, fielding runs above average. As you were putting that together, who, I know I just named some of the names. Who did you find maybe most impressive, or what group of guys did you find most impressive based off those numbers? Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Arcia right now, just because I think um, there's a lot of debate among Brewers fans about <clears throat> about what type of impact these prospects are going to have. And Arcia Arcia was advertised as a glove first shortstop, where the bat's going to still be coming along a little bit, and he's proven to develop the bat at different levels and. The battle come at the major league level, but the defense, I think the defense is even better than a lot of people expected. Even, even knowing that he was going to be a glove for a shortstop, his defense is phenomenal. He's already one of the best young defensive shortstops in baseball. And it's really, you, you just can't brush aside the significance of how young he is. He's already doing this, I think, in his age 22 season. And, it's just fantastic to see he's come out just as advertised and better than advertised in the field. And that, I think that's super impressive for such a young guy. Um, so I, and, and, I don't know. I'm an admitted. I'm a huge Arcia fan, so I, I think I got to go with that one. In the past week and a half, he makes two separate plays where he's in a full 360 spin and throws a strike to first. The second of those plays was to end a game when you've got the potential tying run coming in to score. If that throw is is you know anywhere offline, you know forget your numbers and everything. Talk about the eye test. I mean, this guy is just impressive. One hundred percent. Yeah. That, um, there was a really good article. I want to say it was from the official site. Uh, I, I apologize if I'm wrong on the source of this, but there was a there was a piece on Arcia when he came up um, or or during the off season about his development through the minor leagues, and a lot of his teammates or coaches that were on that video were saying that the spin move is his instinctual play, that that's his best play, that. I guess when Arcia makes that spin move, you know he's playing at his highest level and his most natural level. That apparently he he can range so far to get a ball. Because even, let's be honest, if he even prevented that hit up the middle, that's a huge defensive play. But he he has the ability to to do this natural instinctive spin and get a throw to first base at the same time it's it's a ridiculous play but apparently that's something that he did in the minors all the time as well that that's just that's just a sign that he knows he can make a play and that's like his highest natural uh, natural level of play, I think. Yeah, I saw that piece as well. I think it was Adam McCalvey at MLB.com who wrote that. I think you're right that it was on the team site. So. Right on. Yeah, that was that was a fun one to watch, and I was kind of waiting for it all year because you know you hear stuff like that, like oh he's got this spin throw, and I I don't remember seeing it before this last couple of weeks. I mean maybe it just wasn't as in big a situations because those kind of I believe the other one came when Jimmy Nelson was throwing his great start too, so that was also a really important uh, throw in that game as well. So it's it's just great to see him come along at the MLB level. We're now a couple weeks out from the draft, and a lot of the draft conversation has ended, but guys are still signing. Guys are starting to play uh, in short uh, season. You guys did a lot with the draft. What was your general feeling about uh, how the Brewers did this year? You know, I love the draft, and I think I think it's the weirdest draft that I've seen as a Brewers fan just because the system is so deep that they actually – you could really tell – that they were drafting for certain levels in the minors that it seems that since some of their low ball affiliates and their Helena rookie squad were pretty much already filled because they have so many prospects from the last couple drafts, as well as the international um, signings they've started doing and the trades 
they were really in a position to gamble a ton. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't honestly be surprised if in five years you could look back on this draft and maybe a lot of these guys bust out. I mean, they're, they really gambled on some talent here, but right now they have the system to withstand. Let's say it takes six years to develop um, a guy like lemons, uh, the right-handed pitcher they took. I think he was their third, their third pick in the draft. Um, if it takes six years for him to get to the MLB, or maybe after four years he turns into an impact trade chip, I mean, that's that's exactly the type of risk the system can take right now. So it's a total boom-bust draft. It's, it's a real gamble, and I absolutely love that they did that because right now the system's strong enough to take that type of gamble. And taking all the high school guys in 11 through 19, you're, if you sign you know, three of those guys, that might be more than you expect just because you don't have slot money to do it. Uh, I think to, to just accentuate your point, it was obvious that they don't have to sign all those guys. So, hey, if we can sign two of these guys or three of these guys, they, they thought they'd probably be in pretty good shape. I agree completely. And, in fact, I've got to actually work on a formal argument for this, but I I honestly believe this has come up on BP Milwaukee Twitter a bit during some of our chats, and I honestly believe that if the team is improving this year, they're they're going to get a worse draft pick next year, and if they continue to be a good team, they're they're not going to be drafting high anymore. So the honest truth is, if they believe that they have talent that's worth locking up here this is the draft to totally blow past their spending limits. They could completely take the first round draft hit the next couple of years. They could totally do that. If they price out the gamble properly, this would be the draft to go just haywire and spend Hmm. like $20 million if they need to. Because we also know they have the cash since their MLB, their MLB payroll is so low as well. This is, this is a type of move where you could really test how, quote-unquote analytic the front office would be if they take this type of gamble it could totally be worthwhile spending that cash and and basically picking up as many of those lottery tickets that it's going to take five years to develop as possible i think i would totally be in favor if they did that if if you're ever going to blow past the draft sanctions this is the year to do it um because basically if the brewers throw away their first round next year and the year after that they're really not going to they're not going to it's not going to hurt as much as if they had done it where you know this year they had a top 10 pick yeah. you know it's not going to hurt as much that's a, that's a great point, interesting point, and it'll be fun to see more stuff. Talk, and we'll see what they do with all those high school guys and whether or not that happens. Uh, last, right on. Last thing for you, and, and you didn't write this, but it's on the BP Milwaukee side. I want to get your take. Uh, Paul Noonan writes a story about the uh, the juiced ball. Are you uh, do yes. you do you think the ball is juiced right now in Major League Baseball? I 100% do, and um, I forget. I really apologize that I'm being so forgetful with my sources, but there there was the Lindbergh piece that came out, uh, I think, about two weeks ago now. And all I know is there's also going to be more evidence published. Apparently there's there's more baseball analysts that have gotten their hands on some baseballs, and they're doing the actual testing, and apparently there's going to be more evidence coming on, uh, and I forget the site that it's going to be on, but apparently there's going to be more evidence and that basically people have people have the evidence to prove that it is juiced. So um, that's pretty wild. That That is. That's, I'll look forward to that. Uh, tell me, go through uh, BP Milwaukee uh, on Twitter at BP Milwaukee, bpmilwaukee.com. Uh, if folks want to check it out, uh, what's on there, and what are you guys going to have coming up soon? So um, we we really finished a solid solid week. We got um, all our writers are in full gear right now. We're really we're we're working at full speed. So I highly recommend the juiced home run story. There's some draft coverage on there. We have um, we we have a lot of guys going in depth on some deep prospects. So there's a uh, piece on Cooper Hummel, a, a catcher at. Uh, advanced a Carolina on there so there's there's really just a lot of um, a lot of stuff that covers the club from every different angle right now so we're trying we're always trying to get as much fresh uh, fresh brews content up there as possible so um, just stick with us and uh, I think it's it's only going to get better with the team we got uh, writing there right now He is BP Milwaukee editor uh, Nicholas Zettel Nick uh, thanks so much for your time and uh, we'll talk again soon
Right on. Thanks a lot, Matt. I really appreciate it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time to go down on the farm and uh, bringing in one of our favorite people to talk to. He is the uh, longtime broadcaster for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and there's been a lot of Timber Rattler talk here over the last few days with the guys who are putting on uh, Timber Rattler uniforms. Chris Marion joins us. Chris, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing right now? I'm doing great. Uh, long weekend, Matt, but uh, always uh, it's a long season, so always ready to keep going. Yeah, great uh, great opportunity for uh, fans uh, in Appleton to be able to see uh, both Ryan Braun and Jonathan VR uh, play for a few days. What was that like for the club? I'll tell you, the, uh, the club uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I know a lot of guys, uh, Ryan Aguilar, Ronnie Gideon, um, and a few other players really like to pick the brain of uh, both uh, Braun and VR. Uh, got a lot of tips out of it. Um, and just, you know, like like a couple of guys said, it was like they were with us all season long because they just kind of fit right into the clubhouse. And, you know, they, they got, uh, got to see how major leaguers prepare for games and get ready. And, and it just was outstanding for everybody, from the players and the coaches to um, the local media up here. And uh, and the fans as well. What does that do? I mean, you mentioned guys being able to go up and talk to them, and there's some there's some interaction at spring training. But when they're kind of on their own turf and they have those guys in there, uh, what can that do for a player to get some some time around those guys? I think uh, I think it really helps uh, just to kind of get a little one on one time. I know that uh, a couple of guys in in. Uh, in uh, his in uh, Ryan Braun's round of batting practice, we're we're talking to him about some different things and and put them actually into practice. Uh, you know, he talked with Ryan Aguilar a little bit um, before the game on you know on uh, during batting practice on the doubleheader on Friday, and then winds up on Saturday hitting a home run. Uh, Aguilar does, and then today Ronnie Gideon uh, put some stuff into practice that he had uh, in a conversation with uh, with Ryan Braun and wound up hitting another home run today. So. It's just been, you know, I think that the the opportunity is there, and the guys that want to will take the opportunity to talk uh, with with the major leaguers, and they're both more than happy to to sit around and talk and and, and help out the, the younger players, which is which is another neat thing about the organization. We're expecting to see both those guys rejoining the Brewers on Tuesday. We were recording this podcast uh, on Sunday night. Uh, the especially uh, VR put up huge numbers, but uh, between the two guys, how did they look to you? Um, I'll tell you, Ryan. Uh, um, I should say I'll start with uh, I'll start with uh, with uh, Jonathan VR. He made some outstanding defensive plays today on Sunday. Um, just a couple of plays that um, that, as you know from your time in the league, Matt, they they don't get made uh, very often. But uh, a couple of times, some players from uh, from Kane County went back walking to the walking to the dugout shaking their head they couldn't believe that that play was made in, in a Midwest League game <laughs> and and on top of it uh, you know VR um, he he just kind of placed the ball wherever it needed to be um, he had a sacrifice fly today that that was pretty important uh, gave the Rattlers a two nothing lead at the time uh, he also uh, just seemed to. Uh, try to use his speed. Um, he just chopped a, in his first at bat. He, he chopped a single up the middle and wound up turning it into a double when he saw that the uh, the Kane County player was not expecting. You know, just kind of went after the ball um, without uh, you know a, a lot of hustle. So he wound up turning it into a double. Um, and he just did a lot of stuff like taking the ball the other way and and just taking what the pitchers had for for Ryan Braun. Um, he had like a typical Ryan Braun at bat when he hit his home run on Saturday. He got a work to count to three and two and then uh, hit an opposite field home run about 380 feet. Uh, that was something else to see. And uh, the crowd was actually kind of upset because the, the pitcher, after giving up that home run, didn't want to pitch to him and kind of threw four straight outside and wound up blocking him. So <laughs> um, it was just a, it was a great day uh, on Saturday and again today. And on top of it, I think them being around, that picked up the energy level a little bit because I'm sure you were following that the team had lost 10 in a row to end the end of the first half, and then 
you know, they, they fought hard in, in the uh, doubleheader on Friday with the with the two major leaguers in, in town, but wound up losing both. But they ended the 12-game losing streak on, on Saturday and won again today. So a nice little two-game winning streak uh, going into the, the next series. Yeah, luckily, I guess you could say the losing streak coming for the most part before the All-Star break and the, you know, the record's resetting. That's about as good of a time as that uh, kind of losing streak can occur. But uh, as the team did lose a number of games in a row, there was a lot of doubleheaders in there as well, or at least a couple of them. What, uh, what, what was going on that kind of led to uh, the, the downward direction in play? Um, there were there were uh, there were a lot of things that were going. Uh, the offense, uh, I think, during that whole losing streak, they only scored more than five runs one time, um, and the pitchers were giving up a lot uh, of hits. Uh, the the team had given up uh, in the first half; they gave up something like seventy home runs in, in sixty eight games. So, I mean, they're giving up a lot of home runs and a lot of runs. Um, and after really taking care of the ball defensively the first uh you know the first 6 7 weeks of the season uh the the defense started to slip a little bit um you know towards the end of the half uh there were a couple of guys that got rested um just not not played and i think that it kind of affected things but by then the team was just kind of out of it uh in the playoff chase i mean they were still going out there battling every day but it just seemed like something that could go wrong uh, just happened to go wrong, and uh, it, it looks like the the All Star break came at the right point and gave everybody a, a like they got a chance to hit the reset button and, and start all over from scratch again. What's uh, as you look back on the first half of the year, and I know it's tough to just name one guy, but if you had to look at a single person who maybe you were most impressed with in the first half of the season, who would that guy be, or who would those those few guys be? Well, uh, one is no longer with us. That's Monte Harrison, who uh, was the uh, Midwest League MVP uh, for the All-Star Game and then was promoted to Carolina, and he's already uh, helped contribute to a couple of Carolina wins in the second half. Monte, just his, uh, I think we've talked about it in the past, Matt, uh, his his uh, his improvement from last season to this season was just overwhelming. He, uh, he became the first Timber Rattlers since 2005 to have uh, – 10 steals and 10 stolen bases and a half. And uh, that that's something that's very rare, um, especially now with, with all of the movement. And, I mean, Monte wound up with 11 stolen bases and 11 home runs in the first half. Um, on the uh, on the player that's still with us, I've, I've definitely got to point out Mario Feliciano. The kid's just 18 years old. Uh, he was an all-star. Uh, he wound up starting for the Western Division in the all-star game. Um, and, and you look at him and you just – don't realize that he's he's only 18 and he's hitting 260 and and handling the pitching staff and, and doing an outstanding job and I think the Brewers are are very happy with with his progress um, and his his way of handling himself in his first full season of professional baseball. Anytime we talked about him the last time we had you on, anytime I have you know Kyle Loebner on, we we talk about him is just the the young catcher who does not look young, is is this just, I mean, I, I'm trying to come up with a new question because we talked about it the last time, but what what more have maybe you seen from him uh, over the last couple, month, month and a half uh, as he continues to develop? Um, just, uh, it's it's his maturity. I mean, you, you, you would not know that he's an 18-year-old kid out there playing every day or every, you know, like three or four times a week, uh, and he's DHing too. Um, he's he's handled learning how to handle a pitching staff, and he's just taking everything in that he can, and and that's only going to help him as he moves up the ladder of the Brewers system. So, I mean, he's he's a very mature eighteen year old, and and thinking back at myself at eighteen, I'm like, oh, holy smokes! <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he's he's an impressive one, and and you know, if if. Brewer fans want to come and check him out. I, I would get up here. I mean, just just see him at this age, and then as he develops and, and keeps going up, I think they're going to be really happy with his growth. You mentioned Ryan Aguilar a little bit, talking about him spending some time with uh, with with Braun, and I'm looking at his numbers. He's hitting 368 over his last uh, 10 games. Uh, what are what is he doing recently that's allowed him to be so effective? Um, he's just putting together really good at bats. I mean, I, I think his his best at bat. Um, in the last couple of weeks was um, 
he was down 0-2 in a count, and, you know, most guys, and, and he just kind of kept following pitches off and didn't give in and wound up drawing a walk, and it, it wound up eventually scoring uh, the go-ahead run the other day. So um, he is putting together some very good at-bats. Um, he, he's not pressing as much as I think he did at the start of the season. And I think it's just a matter of time before his swing starts to come around. I think that's the, the, the thing with a lot of the Timber Rattlers players this year. Plus, on top of that, Aguilar, I don't know if you saw it last night, but he made one of the most amazing catches I've seen in a long time, and it wound up being number three on uh, SportsCenter's top ten plays for Saturday night. So he's, And he's versatile, too. He's played first, he's played all three outfield positions, and he's played all four positions extremely well. He's DH'd. And he's just done everything that, that the uh, that the coaching staff has asked of him this year. And, and I'd really like to see him just keep putting it together here in the second half. What does it mean to a to a young guy playing in the Midwest League to get a highlight on SportsCenter? <laughs> I think it means uh, – it, it, I think they're really excited when it happens. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago uh, – Omar Garcia was the number one play on just one of the most amazing catches I've ever seen. And that we heard about that the whole rest of the season um, with the with the guys on the team giving it to him a little bit. But uh, it's, you know, everybody's playing to try to get on SportsCenter. And the earlier they can get on there in their, in their professional development, I think that, that gives them a little bit more incentive to keep going. It's an odd time of the year because we're just coming off the baseball draft and short season is starting up. But for you know, in all likelihood, the Timber Rattlers will probably see some of the the draftees at some point in time. Is there a, is there any? I don't know if drama is the word, but I mean, are guys who maybe are are not doing quite as well as they would like to to do? Are they more aware of that at this point in time because they might be getting pushed for their job? I think everybody's aware of the draft and aware of, you know, the, the the Brewer system is just based on a lot of competition and there's a lot of competition for not a lot of spots right now. So and and I think you know, if a guy doesn't have the greatest batting average right now or, you know, is you know, not hitting a lot of home runs, I don't think the Brewers are putting a lot of a lot of stock in that. It's more how they're going about their play, how they are, uh, how they are actually hitting the ball, how they are um, preparing for games. I mean, obviously, baseball is a results-oriented business, but at the minor league level, um, you're not going to just drop a guy because he's he's on a on a bad slump. Um, it's more, you know, especially now that you know they have the the exit velocity stuff and they have all of the other things and they can track, uh, you know, like sometimes an 0 for 10, um, you're hit, hitting the ball better than you would be if you had like four or five straight hits. So I, I think everybody's, I mean, <laughs> you're not really here on a scholarship, obviously, so everybody's just kind of going after it, but uh, the, the results all take care of themselves and everything comes out the wash. We're talking with Chris Marion from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, uh, the broadcaster for uh, for the Timber Rattlers, as we uh, do start to wrap up the conversation. Uh, what um, uh, last year the team had such a great second half and got into the postseason because of it. Mostly a new team and everything. Does does the confidence of last year's second half does that play any role whatsoever in uh, this team just getting the second half underway now? Well, I don't think so. I mean, we don't have a lot of guys left from last year's second half of the season. I think, uh, well, we've got David Burkhalter, who was with us at the end of the year last year, and uh, Carlos Bolonis, who was with us at the end of the season last year. And uh, I think there might be one or two that I might be forgetting, obviously. But um, oh, uh, Tom Jenkins and uh, Zach Brown were with the Rattlers at the end of the season last year, too. So, I mean, it's it's a, there are a lot of new faces, and uh, as you might remember from minor league baseball, the only people that really remember the history from year to year is you know the broadcasters and the fans, the players. I mean, they they get to move on to another situation, uh, or they're coming from someplace else where there's uh, you know a different kind of tradition or anything like that. So. Um, but I do know that Matt Erickson is going to have these guys ready to play. I mean, they, they're back to 500 in the second half. They've got a pretty uh, big series coming up with the Quad Cities team uh, that uh, the Astros have loaded up pretty good. And 
that's going to be a four-game series that starts uh, Monday, and uh, it, it's just it's series to series right now, and we'll see how everything goes. Well, take me through uh, for folks uh, coming into uh, the ballpark in Appleton, Fox Day Stadium. What's uh, what's on deck and what's planned here over the next uh, week or so for the club? Um, well, uh, the big event coming up on uh, Thursday is our Salute to Cows uh, night. Uh, we started that a couple of years ago, part of June Dairy Month. And this year it is going to be a cow-patterned jersey, a specialty jersey, to raise funds for the uh, Appleton, or excuse me, for the Freedom uh, Food Pantry. Um, we just did two of our specialty jersey auctions this past weekend. We did the Star Wars jersey and the Military Appreciation jersey to raise money for Make-A-Wish Wisconsin and also for the Fox Valley Veterans uh, Council. And having uh, Jonathan VR and uh, Ryan Braun's jerseys and hats to auction off really helped us raise some money for some charities. So, um, and this year we're doing our auctions a little bit differently. Um, we are doing the auctions through the through TimberRattlersAuctions.com. Uh, just go to the TimberRattlers website. There's a link to it right there. And uh, the auction for the cow pattern jersey will be up on Tuesday morning, and it'll run through um, 9 o'clock on Thursday night. And the jerseys look great, and it's a great way to run, uh, help out with some charity. That's great. Well, I, uh, you know, I was most recently with the Sky Sox for six years, and we always did the jersey auctions, but you had to be there to, uh, to bid on it now. So what you're saying, you don't have to be at the ballpark. Anybody can bid on these jerseys. Yep, that's right. Uh, we have people at the ballparks that would bid with their uh, with their mobile devices, or people at home uh, can just bid online. And uh, we, we, like I said, we raised a lot of money this weekend for charity, uh, and hopefully, we can raise a little bit more with these cow salute to cow jerseys coming up. That is awesome. Uh, encourage people to get up to uh, Timber Rattlers games. Also, uh, listen to uh, to Chris on the radio and on the stream. How if people want to listen to the broadcast, how do they do that, Chris? Um, we are on the Timber Rattlers are on the TuneIn Radio app. We're also on iHeartRadio through the uh, through the flagship station of the Timber Rattlers, WNAM. Um, you can just if you have the TuneIn Radio app or the iHeartRadio app, just uh, look for the Timber Rattlers, and we're right there. And we are on all the time. It seems like perfect, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. We'll catch up again uh, real soon. All right, that sounds great, Matt. Thank you very much for the time. And that was Chris Marion. We appreciate him taking some time with us. Always a great conversation. It's fun for me to talk with Chris. Uh, I, I've stated it before. I, I've worked in I worked in minor league baseball for a long time before I got uh, into Milwaukee. And prior to my six years in Colorado Springs, I was uh, the voice of the Burlington Bees in the Midwest League. They were a Royals affiliate at the time. They're not that anymore. So I've known Chris for many years uh, from my time uh, working there in Burlington. And it's uh, it's a treat every time I get to talk to him. He's uh, he's he is a good man and he's a great broadcaster and I appreciate him taking the time and encourage you to uh, get to Appleton and check out the Timber Rattlers and you know just to, if for no other reason uh, to see that catcher Feliciano. I mean it's pretty uh, it's pretty spectacular some of the things uh, he is doing. All right, so this is the schedule coming up for the Brewers. Again, we record this on Sunday night. Monday the 26th is an off day. They will then open up a three-game series against Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark. They've had a ton of success against the Reds this year, both from a team standpoint and from an Eric Thames destroying you standpoint. So we'll see if playing the Reds maybe gets Thames going again there on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. All three of those games will start at 6:10, so 5:35 for the broadcast time over at 6:20 WTMJ. That will wrap up the road trip after Thursday. They will then come home and it will start with a series against the Marlins. That's going to go Friday, Saturday. Sunday, and then they uh, welcome in the Orioles for a three-game series after that over the 4th of July a holiday period, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. It is notable in case you have tickets Monday the 3rd, the day before 4th of July, that is a 1-10 game, and then 4th of July is going to be a 3-10 game, so a little bit of a different start times there. And then Wednesday, even though we'll talk about this more on next week's podcast, don't forget Wednesday the 5th, that your if you have tickets, your ticket might say it starts at seven ten. That is now a six ten start. They moved it up an hour. That's because they have to play that makeup game from the non rain rain out against the Cubs at Wrigley Field on Thursday the sixth. They moved up the game Wednesday the fifth. 
just to give them an extra hour to get out of town and head to uh, Chicago and try to be in as good a position as possible to play that afternoon game on Thursday the 6th. That is just about going to uh, wrap up the program today. It is Brewers Externals, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Big thank yous to my guest today as uh, we were joined by Nicholas Zettel, the editor over at BP Milwaukee, Baseball Prospectus, and also uh, Chris Marion, the broadcaster for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, joining us. And also thanks to you for listening. Certainly appreciate that. If you ever want to get in contact with me, you can uh, tweet at me at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. You can also uh, email me if you would like, matt.pauley at WTMJ.com. We will talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.